This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel on the show, and Steve Bartle of Ute Zone is coming on the pod to break down this Oregon-Utah matchup. Probably one of the biggest games that the league was anticipating at the start of the season. When when you map out the schedule and you look at the the big ones, there's there's always the rivalry games, and then there's this one, uh, this is one of the you know always the, the better games of the season, conference wide. Two of the better teams in the conference the last couple of seasons, um, and excited to to get to preview this one. Steve will be in Eugene covering this one for Huge uh, Zone, so make sure to check out his coverage there. Um, Steve, this is let's let's talk big picture first for Utah. Um, Outsiders' perspective, this was maybe the first year preseason-wise that there were national expectations that the Utes would be a playoff contender, that they would be a a, a conference preseason favorite. Obviously, there's a lot of people in Salt Lake City that every year going and thinking, hey, this is the year we could win the league, that we should win the league. We have the talent. But that noise came from outside the program in a large way, preseason picks for the, the playoffs even. Um, how has this season gone from – a Utah fans perspective with those national expectations, not only are the fans saying, Hey, this should have been a playoff team going into the year. That was kind of the expectation from a lot of national media members too. Is this a eight and two you're at the end of November, you're in the playoff, you're in the call, the, the PAC 12 championship hunt. You win on Saturday. You're in, is this still viewed as a really good year? Or is maybe those expectations maybe damper things just a little bit. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that with the expectations coming into the season, right, um, you have a team that won the conference championship last year and you return most of that roster, right, expectations are going to be a lot higher than they are normally. And I think um, with the way that the season has played out, uh, with a tough loss at Florida that ultimately came down to the final possession, the final seconds in that game, um, and then a, set, a surprising loss to UCLA on the road, and, and especially in the manner in which it came, I think it's certainly, um, you know, it's it's certainly put a little bit of a damper on the season compared to um, expectations. This was a program that, um, you know, talked about repeating as Pac-12 champions, but also, you know, competing for more than just the conference championship. The goal is always to win the conference. But, you know, they had their eyes on, you know, bigger, bigger goals. And, you know, some of those goals are still very much attainable. You know, getting back to the Rose Bowl is something that this team is, you know, certainly um, focused on as well. 
but you know, the college football playoff was certainly when you're in the top 10 preseason, that's on the radar and you can't deny it. You can't hide from it. You got to embrace those expectations. And, you know, the Florida loss was interesting because I feel like they went into that game and, you know, competed and showed really well. Again, that they Florida Gators have not lost a home opener for quite some time. It's a tough place to play. Um, and they took it down to the wire. And yet that UCLA loss, I think, is where kind of things started to, to dampen a little bit just because, again, of how that loss came um, and, and, and that. So, you know, compared to where we were um, preseason, like I do think um, things have dampened a bit, but still you're right there mid-November, you're ranked number 10 in the country. Like that's, that's tough to be super disappointed about. To this series in a broad sense, Steve, you know, we were just had a podcast discussion a couple of weeks ago about Oregon, Utah as a rivalry. And we were actually kind of split about yes. what does it, how do you define it? Is it a rivalry in terms of uh, just because of what the goals are and competing for those goals? Obviously, Oregon, Utah have been in conference championship games, fought, played head to head for some of them recently. Um, is there a rivalry that has some of the malice you might see of a, you know, I'm not sure exactly how you want to define that, but like Oregon, Washington, it comes to town. There's a certain level of vitriol between those programs that's just kind of understood and it makes it easy to define as a rivalry. How is this game, which is becoming kind of a, I think, a fun annual tradition, felt in Salt Lake City? Is Oregon seen as a rival? What is kind of the perception of this game every year right now from you guys' perspective? Yeah, you know, that's been a, a, a discussion a little bit as well with this Oregon matchup. It, it's certainly one that, you know, you look back, you go back to 2019, you know, both teams have been ranked in each of the last four matchups, right? So this year you've got a number 10 Utah, number 12 Oregon, uh, the championship game last year, uh, and then number three, number 23 at Utah. You go back to 2019 in the Pac-12 title game as well, number five Utah, number 13 Oregon in that one. So, you know, the last four matchups alone, we're talking about top 15, top 25 programs in every matchup. And I think that says a lot. And I think that really has kind of raised the stakes for this Utah-Oregon rivalry, quotation marks, I guess. You know, if, if we want to call it that, I certainly think the competition and what these two programs are competing for on a regular basis over the last four years has certainly made it more of a rivalry. It's never going to be, you know, it's never going to be Oregon, Washington. It's never going to be Utah, BYU. There's just that emotional factor that I don't think Utah and Oregon will ever attain. But look, these programs, it's more than just these top 25 matchups. These programs compete for a lot of the same recruits. Oregon's won uh, quite a bit of them. Utah's won, you know, a handful here and there as well. And so it's it's that as well contributes to kind of the rivalry. You're just competing so much. There's just so much competition between these two programs that I think it's it's I don't want to say it's silly to not call it a rivalry, but I think you're justified in calling it that. Yeah, I was the one in that discussion on our podcast that didn't think it was um, a rivalry. There was, I called it more of a, of mutual respect that, Hey, like sure. they're good. We're good. We're, you know, type of a deal. Now that being said, hearing what uh, a couple of offensive players said about this game today, 
I definitely feel like there's now definitely some more uh, anger or dislike mm-hmm. towards Utah based off of what happened. I mean, the way uh, Chris Hudson talked, you know, really looking forward to the matchup against Clark Phillips, and we'll get to him later. Dante Thornton said the same thing. Now, defensive players, they seem to be just kind of like, yeah, like <laughs> we're not really worried about it. Like it's it's they're good. We're good. We'll figure it out. Um, I'm going off script here, Eric. I'm changing my question to add for Bartle here. Um, Uh Uh-oh. Only because I I saw this come out on Twitter just now. Tom Fernelli of CBS released his, like, college football QB power rankings. Mm. And Cam Rising's not on the list. Kind of surprising Mm. to me. Um, Just what's his season been like? I mean, I I guess just from a live reaction, he's – He's really good, and yeah. I I think going into the year, um, he was preseason number one. Caleb mm-hmm. Williams, I think, was preseason number two, and there really wasn't any kind of like, whoa, that's wrong. Like Cam Rising, you know, proved he was very good last season. Was the league's top quarterback coming in? Um, just what's been his season like this season, where there was so much expected of him and of this yeah. of this Utah offense. Yeah, you know, that's a a good question. And I think, you know, from an outsider's perspective, you can look at the numbers and not come away super impressed with what Cam has done, right? You look at, especially over the last two weeks um, against Stanford and Arizona, two defenses that, you know, will basically give you whatever you want (laughs) on offense, uh, whether it be through the air or on the ground. And Cam didn't necessarily perform super efficiently in those games. And the thing to consider with Cam is against USC, he suffered um, a bit of an injury. I mean, it is an injury. And so he missed the Washington State game, which I'm sure everybody um, saw that (laughs) in the Pac-12. Just the the snafu with Fox Sports and Peter Papadopoulos, or however you say his name, um, and just kind of the what happened there with Cam essentially saying that at game time, literally 20 minutes before a game, that he he didn't feel comfortable. He didn't feel like he was going to be able to, to play at his best. And so, um, you know, the injury has certainly been a factor for him or it feels like has been a factor for him in his play over the last two weeks. But overall, when you look at what Cam has done and you go back to that USC matchup, 415 yards through the air um, was very good, a very – Um, efficient passer in that matchup. And the thing with Cam is, you know, he has, he has the experience, but he's so smart. He has a great football IQ, his ability to read defenses and, and also. So his ability to read defenses, understand what he's looking at and get Utah in the right plays is such an important thing for any quarterback, but especially Utah where, you rely so much on the run game and you want to be in the the most advantageous situations as you can be. And Cam has a good understanding of what they're trying to do on offense. So he's able to read defenses, get him into the right plays. But more than that is he's also able to communicate what he's seeing on the def- from the defense. And he's able to communicate that with offensive coordinator Andy, Andy Ludwig, who then can benefit from that as well. So, you know, Cam's ability to um, make good decisions – and help his offensive coordinator also make good decisions is, is a valuable trait that just you'll never be able to 
quantify that. You'll never be able to see that on a, on a box score, on a stat sheet, but it's, it's certainly a factor for this Utah team. And, you know, he's, he's played really well in Utah's biggest games. Um, you know, he's come up big. He threw the interception against Florida in the, on the final possession, but without Cam rising, Utah's never in that position in the final seconds in the red zone. He drove them the length of the field in less than a minute 25, I think is what it was. I think a minute 34, actually. So a minute 34 drives the length of the field and gets them into scoring position. And, you know, so he's played um, his best football in a lot of Utah's biggest games. It's just unfortunate. The injury is kind of cost in the last two weeks where he hasn't been able to, to pad the stats a little bit, but you know, he's still um, a very dangerous quarter, very good quarterback. Petros Papadankis. Yes. <laughs> I think. Yes. And we, we've also mispronounced that name on this podcast. So I'm just trying to give it our best shot. Yeah. Uh, for Mr. Petros in case he's, in case he's listening. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I actually I'm going to change script because why not? It's a podcast. That's what we do. Um, I, I, I'll tie into the question I was going to ask, but um, that whole exchange with, Fox Sports and Utah over that was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Yes. Like, so why does the T, why do the TV guys think that they get to know everything? What, what are you doing? And like, it's, it's also, there's a level of irony this week because (laughs) Oregon goes into it completely shutting down practice access from an injury perspective. So I think it's kind of timely to bring it up because like at a certain (laughs) point, there's no, there's no, um, there, there's no NCAA regulation or, or rule in place that right. says anything has to be said about anything injuries. And yet we have a lot of, I'm kind of going to rant for a moment, Steve, because we've got people on our site really bitching rant at us away. For, for not, for not <laughs> disclosing the injury information we have. When, if I were to disclose that on like this podcast or on the board, it would help Utah. Just like if, if Kyle Whittingham had told Fox sports, like, yeah, maybe he won't go. If even knew that information, which it didn't seem like they really did. Like that yeah. would have helped Washington State. So, like, I, I just feel like people think they're owed a lot more information with injury reports. So, it, 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 you mentioned it, and so I thought I'd just bring that up because it's kind of ironic how that sort of comes to. So, like this week, you probably don't know, Steve. Like, there's some injuries that Oregon's dealing with, and uh, uh, Dan basically is like, "Yeah, you guys can watch practice, but you can't write about anything from injury perspective, which is new." <laughs> so we're kind of dealing with that it's on so, our own. Uh, so it's but, so I, tough I, because, like you've got to maintain that relationship, right? Like you don't want to lose your credential. Like that's tough, dude. So that's a tough spot to be in. Well, and so let, let me, let me ask you an injury question. Cause I know Kyle Whittingham is not notoriously uh, great with dealing with injury information. What is like the overall state of the youth from a health perspective? I know Van Fillinger is like out for this. That's like, he's not coming back. Yeah. Um, it, when they played in, in Pullman, it wasn't just, I know that was about a month, three weeks ago. It wasn't just Rising that was injured. Tavian Thomas didn't make the trip. Dalton Kincaid was hurt. But based upon what took place against Stanford last week and even the game before, it seems like those guys are back and, and close to full like strength. Does this feel like a Utah team that is that is pretty darn healthy? And I ask in part because this is an Oregon team where it doesn't feel like that right now. Yeah, you know, I feel like Utah was where Oregon is this week, you know, a couple weeks ago, right? Against that Washington State team, like this – this Utah team was, I mean, it felt like things were held together by duct tape, literally health wise. Like it, that's just where this team, it felt like it was at, but um, the last two weeks have been really good from a health perspective where 
Um, you know, guys have been able to get time away, get a lot of recovery. Um, and um, coming into this matchup, um, Utah is as they're in as good a shape as, as they could hope to be. Um, obviously the loss of Van Fillinger is, is a tough blow. And that was a surprising one um, because it didn't, it didn't happen in a game. Um, it happened in practice actually. So that was a, a fairly decent surprise. Brent Keithy is, uh, is the only other season ending injury that Utah has suffered knock on wood. Um, and so, you know, this team coming into coming into Eugene, it's it's as healthy as you know you could hope. There are some injuries that they're dealing with, um, nothing major, uh, but for the most part, this team has um, taken advantage of the last two weeks and gotten pretty pretty healthy. Tavian Thomas, um, running back. I asked Dan Lane today, like, have they faced a player from a physical standpoint? similar he said not really i mean he's like yeah. six foot two 240 pounds essentially really big dude yeah. um power running back um i think dan called him like this is one where like you're gonna get put on your back tackling him a couple times um he's had an up and down season though really yeah. good last year um but hey last week against stanford stanford's always a good medicine pill for for a team in the conference <laughs> this season um, he went for 180 and two tutties. Um, yep. What What's just been his season like? And yeah. we we always know Utah loves to run the football. And is that the case still with Tavion, or has Cam Rising's you know return kind of opened things up a little bit more, and maybe that plays a factor into him not being as productive? Yeah, with Tavion, it's been um, it's been a season. Let's say that it's been a season. Um, it's for him. It's there's there's off the field context to consider in the fact that he lost a essentially his mother, the mother figure in his life um, early in the season. Um, uh, I believe it was his grandmother or aunt that took him in as a child and basically raised him, passed away um, in September. And so there was. Um, just a lot of um, just a lot to come from that that he had to to battle through. And so there were a few weeks where he played um, a limited amount. Um, and it essentially all kind of stems from that whole situation. There were um, and so he's had the last couple weeks away from the program and uh, it's been really good for him. He talked about it this week in our media availability is that, you know, he had to, he really needed some time away to kind of figure things out and to kind of learn um, the value of being on a team like Utah and, and seeing how important everybody is and seeing how important having that team behind him um, really matters to him. And so uh, really good to hear that from him, just considering what he's went through this season. Uh, and like you said, Matt, that, that Stanford, uh, team is very much a nice little uh, spoonful of medicine for ailing offenses and defenses. Um, and so, you know, Tavion got going a little bit, um, 180 yards, and he looked good. He looked uh, as explosive as he has in his time at Utah. He looked really good, and he's still 
240 pounds, and you wouldn't know it by watching him last week against Stanford. So, you know, he's kind of rounding into form, and that's a good thing for Utah because this is still a team that, you know, they they personify the Marsh, the famous Marshawn Lynch quote of just going to run it over and over and over and over and over again. Like that's Utah wants to run it through a MFers face. Like that's just who they are. They want to be that they're a program. Their brand is built on toughness and there is nothing tougher than running right through you. And that's just who they are. Kyle Whittingham loves that. And that's always going to be the point of emphasis at Utah is just running it um, and running it a lot. However, Cam Rising has shown this season that he can he can do things with the ball in his hands. If Utah wants to open things up and throw the ball around, they've got the playmakers around him. They've got the protection, uh, which hasn't always been the case over the last couple of years, especially in this Oregon matchup. They've they've got the protection and feel good like they can protect him. And if they need to open things up, they can do so and throw the ball around a little bit as well. But I'll ask a question if not. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to let you ask the question and then I was going to go to break. All right, well, let's ask the question, and then we'll go to break. Great podcasting. <laughs> you know, I think another thing, Steve, that when you look at uh, this you know, this Utah team and kind of what it's known for, you mentioned the run game, but the other part has been defensively playing really sound and, and not mm-hmm. giving up big plays and, and keeping things in front of you. And, you know, the, a level of tenacity that I think is sort of d- distinguishes the Utes from a lot of teams that you see in this conference. There was quite a bit of turnover for Utah this offseason. And I, I guess I'm wondering, because now you look up at the, at the conference stats and they're right where they usually are, right at the top in, in scoring defense, right at the top in, in total defense, um, you know, right at the top in pass coverage defense. What, what, was there a point where it clicked? Was there a point where things started yeah. coming together and kind of is there an explanation for, for why that took place? Is it just a, a matter of, of, of time elapsing and, and providing that? Or, or is there like, was there some kind of light bulb moment that took place? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both, Eric. I think over the course of the season, this defense, individuals, certain individuals have just gotten better with time and with more time on the field. Um, you know, there are certain individuals like a defensive tackle, Samote Peppa. There's a defensive end, Jonah Ellis. These two have just gotten better with the more they've played. Um, and that's just kind of like, that's been a benefit. But I do think there was a moment where things really kind of turned for this Utah defense. And it was actually the second half of that USC game. How can you, you know, how can you be proud of a 42-point 40, performance where you give up 42 points to USC, but you know, that's USC and you you limited them to I think less than 170 yards in that second half, which that's that's I mean, like that's okay. You'll you'll live with that against USC, right? So there was a moment in that not a moment, but that second half is really where things started to kind of click. They figured out some adjustments how they needed to play, um, particularly in the secondary in that game. But then the bye week came after that. And I feel like that was really kind of what has allowed the defense to kind of find its, refine its footing, you know, rediscover its, 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 uh, itself. And it obviously helps when you play, you know, Washington State, Arizona, and Stanford. You know, we talked about Stanford being the medicine to fix all, but Arizona, 
with the weather that played there. That was a tough test. Jaden Delore is kind of a wild card, kind of a gambler. He is the definition of, uh, of a gambling man. Um, but then Washington State was just Utah matched up really well with them. So you've had these three games that have also just kind of coincided with the defensive performance and has really kind of allowed Utah to rediscover themselves, but also kind of regain their confidence. And I feel like that was kind of the missing element with the team early on in the early weeks for specifically this defense. Now they they have a better understanding of the defensive scheme and they're playing with more confidence than they were early on as well. All right, now we'll take the quick break. When we come <laughs> back, we'll continue our conversation with Steve Bartlett. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Autonomous Podcast. Uh, Steve Clark Phillips, um, one of, if not the best cornerback in the Pac-12. Um, how much do you anticipate him matching up one-on-one with one specific receiver, which I would assume if they do that would be Troy Franklin. Um, Or do they like to move him around and just kind of what's just been your, your, your perspective of his impact uh, week to week against teams, best receivers um, and just his impact there. Yeah, no, this is, this is a matchup that I'm super interested in because you know, while Clark Phillips is obviously one of the best cornerbacks in in the conference, Troy Franklin is also one of the best receivers. Like what he's done this season has been really, really impressive. I actually talked to Clark about specifically about Troy Franklin, and he mentioned, you know, his height, his length gives him a huge catch radius. And for cornerbacks, that can be tough to battle. And so, you know, it's it's going to be important for Clark to be physical against Troy. Um, when they are matched up. And the, and the thing that Utah has really benefited from is that Clark is very comfortable um, all over the field. You can put him outside. You can put him on the opponent's best receiver. You can put him in the slot, which is a very different position from outside corner, right? You've got the the ability. You have to be able to defend both ways. And that's something that you don't you, – you can utilize the, the sideline for leverage on the outside, which um, he does a very good job of. So having a cornerback, having a defender like Clark that can match up and and play all over the field is really a weapon that Utah does a good job of utilizing. Um, And I don't necessarily think that Clark is going to follow Troy around throughout the entirety of the game, but I do think we'll see a good amount of matchups between those two um, because, you know, frankly, Franklin is that good and he demands, you know, a lot of attention from Utah. And so 
that's going to be a very important matchup um, for the Utes to at least slow down Franklin. I don't, you can't eliminate a talent like him, but you can certainly, you know, make it tough for him and, and make him earn it at the very least. The, the pressure numbers have changed a lot the last month um, for, for Utah in terms of getting yeah. home. Uh, you, you look at the game with Florida, no sacks, even in uh, even against Oregon State, I should say, no sacks. But the last, I think, four, uh, four more sacks three times, seven against Stanford. And we've talked about Stanford and kind of what that is and what that isn't, which is, which is a very, <laughs> very, very, not a very good football team. But like, what's been kind of the, what's been like the, what's led to the manufacturing of pressure? And, and I ask in part because one of the things Dan spoke with, I think, pretty effusive praise with Kyle Whittingham was the way that, that that defensive staff is able to, you know, drum up pressures, bring things that are exotic. I think he said that they have one of the highest pressure rates mm -hmm. in the country in terms of bringing um, more than five players. Uh, what, what is it about this Utah defense? Are they doing anything differently or is it just more of the same? And, and again, as we said earlier, it took a little time for maybe some of the players in new roles to kind of assimilate and get comfortable with what they were doing. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned earlier, Samote Peppa um, being a, an important development, um, but Jonah Ellis, def the defensive end, um, his progress has also been really, really beneficial for this, this team. And he's been kind of the biggest difference for Utah and their ability to generate pressure. But really what it is, is that Utah's doing better on first and second downs and getting teams into longer conversion situations, um, which obviously tends to lead to pass opportunities, passing downs um, where you can kind of just pin your ears back and get after the quarterback. Uh, and so that's been the most important thing is that Utah is defending better on first and second downs. And again, it starts with the interior of the line uh, with Junior Tafuna, uh, Aliki Vamahi, and Samote Peppa at that defensive tackle positions. Um, they're, they're limiting the run um, and setting up longer conversion down situations. So um, that is really kind of the, the biggest difference from what we saw early on in the year. Uh, where Utah was really struggling defending the run. Um, they didn't have the opportunities to pin their ears back and just get after the quarterback. So uh, that is kind of the biggest factor. But as you mentioned, Eric, you know, Utah is a, is, is a defense where, you know, they've got some athletes behind the defensive line at linebacker and at safety that they love to utilize getting after the quarterback. Mahmoud Diabate, the, the Florida Gator transfer, you know, he's he's a very dynamic athlete at six foot three, 227 pounds. He can't necessarily play defensive end full time, but he's a guy that's very adept, very good at getting to the quarterback in in a hurry. And so you want to utilize that. Lander Barton is is duly capable of playing linebacker and defensive end. Similarly, you're going to send him on a number of pressures. You want him attacking the line of scrimmage. You know, and then, you know, Utah loves to. You know, mix things up and bring some exotic things with safety and cornerback blitzes as well. So, you know, Morgan Scally is, you know, he's never afraid to dial up a blitz and that's certainly been the case over the last few weeks. Uh, but it all starts with being better on first and second downs, which comes back to the play of the interior of the defensive line uh, and just kind of speaks to the progress of the unit as a whole. What's, 
my last question for you, Steve, is just maybe like, yeah. is there an area or a position group or a player that you feel like Oregon has an advantage coming in? Like I, from a perspective to flip it, like I, I'm terrified to see how Oregon covers Utah's tight ends. Like yeah, Oregon, Oregon cannot cover across the middle. Their linebackers are not good in pass coverage. They're very good against the run, but they are terrible against the pass. Um is there that type of a scenario for Utah in this game? Yeah, again, I come back to I, I'm praising the defensive line for the progress that they've made, but still that's my biggest concern coming into this game because that Oregon offensive line is very physical, especially at the tackle positions. And that's that's kind of where I'm most concerned. I'm watching, you know, the the Washington game, I'm watching past games the 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 power and counter run plays that Oregon likes to run where you can get TJ Bass and how do you, the right tackles how do you say his name Big Sala just call him Big Sala Steve Big Sala I love it Big Big Sala you know you can get them down blocking and they're guys that that can move defensive ends and defensive tackles like they're very physical and that kind of uh for me that's a worry especially considering the fact that you know, Van Fillinger is not available. He he would have been great in this match. I shouldn't say like I don't want to say like he would have been performed great, but I feel he's he's the type of player that Utah needs in this matchup. And the fact that he's not available kind of leaves me concerned. Um, just because he was that type of physical defensive end that could match the physicality of these offensive tackles and offensive line in general. So uh, for me, while I'm well, I've praised the progress of the offensive line. It's still kind of like they need to prove it. They need to um, validate the progress that they've shown over the last couple of weeks. This is a big test for them. And they can, <laughs> they have the opportunity to pass the test or fail the test. And this, like you go back to the, the, the two losses that they've suffered this year against UCLA in Florida, and it's been the run game that has has cost Utah and defending the run game that has cost Utah. And so that is where my biggest concern is because of how good that Oregon offensive line is. It's a very physical front um, and they've got good, good running backs uh, that complement that offensive line really, really well. I'm going to try to pronounce it for real though. I think it's Malasala. Malasala. Laulu. That's that's I like I'm very good with Polynesian names for the most part, but that one man, that one I'm not touching. <laughs> you know who you know who wasn't good at Polynesian names was Mario Cristobal, who I think decided <laughs> he couldn't pronounce Malasala's first name, so he just called him Big Sala. So that was all we called. Everybody called him Sala uh, since he got Big here. Sala. Four, four four letters was a lot easier than thirteen for. for yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, last one I've got, and then we'll wrap. Um, this is pretty just basic stuff. I, I think we ask every guest, but just like, what are three things the Utes need to do to win this game? Like what are three keys? And you kind of established, I think one of them, you've probably said what all three of them are throughout this podcast. Cause it's been pretty in depth, but like just to kind of encapsulate it, like what, what are, what are the things yeah. you'd be kind of watching for? Yeah. Again, first and foremost, defending the run, you've got to be able to defend the run and make this, this Oregon offense one dimensional, you know, Bo Nick stuff aside, like his availability is obviously going to be a big, big factor in this game. But for Utah, you have to control what you can control. And um, 
defending the run is is at the top of the board for me. Um, next, I think you have to establish the, the passing game against this Oregon Duck defense. And a big factor in that, Matt, you brought him up, Dalton Kincaid, you know, you go back to that USC game, 16 for 16, receptions on targets, uh, 234 yards, one touchdown. He was the guy that um, was was really, really difficult for USC and their athletes to defend. So you're you're kind of hoping that not necessarily a repeat performance, but he needs to be a factor in this game. And the good thing is for Utah on the passing attack is that Devon Vele, um, wide receiver on the outside at 6'5", has emerged as a go-to uh, receiver for Cam as well. And then they've got other complementary players in the passing game as well that, you know, if Utah does want to spread it out and throw it around, they can they can utilize them. So, you know, Money Parks, Solomon Enos, um, Makai Cope, these are guys that Utah can utilize in the passing game as well. So you have to be able to to make the the passing game, but make Oregon pay for their secondary, their defensive secondary, and and some of the uh, the the poor play um, there. But you have to, uh, I shouldn't say poor play, but just the space that'll be there uh, with with uh, with the secondary. So you got to take advantage of of that, and then you know you've you've got to. Man, you've got to make life difficult for Bo Nix if he plays, right? Like this, I've I'm heaping praise on this Oregon offensive line because it's so damn good. Um, they've protected Bo Nix tremendously, and it's it's allowed Bo Nix to change the entire narrative around his career, right? Like Bo Nix at Auburn is nothing. Like it's nothing of Bo Nix at at Oregon. Like it's night and day difference. And so while he Bo Nix has been the biggest difference this year, the key to that has been the offensive line and their ability to protect him. So um, you've got to make it difficult, and that's going to be tough against this Oregon offensive line. So, um, But still, those are kind of my three keys. Got to stop the run or at least make it tough, and then you've got to, you've got to take advantage of opportunities through the air and then make life difficult for Bo Nix. Well – Steve, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Should be a really good game. Three-point spread. Yes. Um, hopefully we get that type of a, of a performance. Um, neither of these games the last two times have, have been close. I'm sure Utah fans would love a, a third straight of that nature. Um, Oregon fans hoping for something different. But nonetheless, hopefully we get a good game to cover in Austin Stadium. We'll see you in the press box. Thank you for coming on the show. We'll talk to you down the road. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.